As we see, I invite us to pray together. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you that we're able to gather this day. We pray that you would uh, speak to us uh, words that we might hear and might be transformed by your grace um, into your love in the world. We give thanks for the Apostle Paul and his words to the Romans, and we pray that you, um, or that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Hindsight is 2020. Have you ever heard that phrase? Yeah? So hindsight is 2020. And just to get it out there, so hindsight for me this week was that when I was helping my son's soccer team set up his, like, goal, right? I should have not stood right behind the bending pole that smacked me right in the forehead. So if you're wondering what this is there, it's, it's right there, right? You know after the fact that you get hurt by things sometimes. And as a parent, one of the things that is like the greatest, like, I have to like withhold everything in me is the phrase, I told you so. Yeah? Yeah? Does anyone ever, you know, like when you remind your kids that they needed to get their water bottle on their way out the door because kids don't drink out of water fountains anymore at schools. I don't know, parents or grandparents, if you knew that, like they have to have water bottles now. And so they get out the door, they're, they're all ready to go and they're hurrying you out the door and then they open up the door at school and they're like, I forgot my water bottle. And I said, I told you so, right? No, I don't say that. I try not to, right? Or, you know, when they're going to do something that's incredibly reckless, but you know it's not going to, like, hurt them too bad, but you warn them not to do it, and yet what do they do? They go climb the plumeria tree, which has the very fragile branches, and then it breaks, and then they fall, and then I told you, know, don't try to say it, right? You just, you try not to. The Apostle Paul, in my opinion, is viewing sin and scripture and kind of our life kind of in this I told you so mentality. He, he's looking back on everything that has happened to understand what's going on now. Because kind of where he is now is he sits as someone who has been reconciled, someone who's made right, someone who was trying to persecute Christians in his previous life and then now he's finding himself trying to pave the way for the new church, and he's looking back on himself and on the world and on everything from it. So the I told you so moment is kind of like what the Apostle Paul has in his kind of vision of, who he, of where he's going. And I say that because the scripture I read is super cryptic, right? The scripture is like, you know, those who have been received and revealed, and the whole earth is kind of waiting and ready to be transformed. And what is the Apostle Paul really, really talking about? Well, we are picking up our uh, sermon series on the Green Bible. It's that Bible that I read out of. It's got that green tree on it. And it, it was put together by scholars and pastors and people that are trying to kind of understand our interconnection in our faith to the land and all of the earth around it. And, and some of us would be like, oh, well, this is just like new age stuff. But did you know, this is a fun fact, I just want to throw it out there, that the song that we began the worship service with, All Creatures of Our God and King, is perhaps one of the oldest hymns or poems that we have within Christian tradition, at least in the United Methodist tradition and hymnal. And it was written, maybe, we like to think, by this guy named St. Francis of Assisi. You've never heard of St. Francis of Assisi before? Perhaps if you go to like a, a Catholic retreat center, you'll find a statue of St. Francis in the garden. St. Francis was uh, living and his ministry was in like 
1200, 1300 time frame. He died about 1230. And he was a pioneer for what's known as the Franciscan order of monks. He like led this entire group of monks to go give up their riches and the fame and devote their lives to service. And St. Francis was uh, born to a wealthy family and eventually he felt a call to give all that up. And he didn't just give all that up and go live in a monastery, but he found himself like walking in the streets, just living kind of without anything and interconnected to all that's around him. And so we like to think that he wrote this song, All Creatures of Our God and King, because he knew the intimate relationship we had with all God's animals. A fun fact is that we have St. Francis of Assisi Day, the day that the broader church remembers him is at the beginning of October, and I hear that we might be planning a blessing of the animals. So if you've got some pets, we might be doing some of those. And in spirit of St. Francis of Assisi. Caring for creation isn't a new thing for us. In fact, the Bible has kind of intertwined with our inner relationship with it. It's actually only in more recent years that as we've become disconnected, from you know farming and the seasons of the year that we feel like it might not speak to that. So the writers of this green Bible put together passages that are green or talk about some sort of connection. You may have heard of the red letter Bibles when Jesus' words, trying to emphasize ways in which God throughout scripture have called us to care for creation. And so here the Apostle Paul's words are highlighted in green because the Apostle Paul is talking about sin and the devastation of it. And he's talking about not just us and our experience of it, but how the whole of creation experiences it. Last week we talked about, quite simply, we were thinking of uh, the Lahaina community and the community of Maui, and we were talking about God's will. And I had a scripture that was John 3.16. And I said that God's will is a mystery, first of all. And God's will is beyond our understanding. Except what we do know about God is what God has revealed to us, which is God's self and Jesus. And so we say we might not know why things happen but we do know that God loves us and wants to be with us. And we kind of hold that John 3:16. God is here to be with us as the center point of how God wants to act in the world. So that's my theological framework. God's mission in the world is to send God's love to be with us always, no matter what sort of circumstances we find ourselves in. And now the flip side of this is we're going to have a conversation today a little bit about what then does it mean to not be part of God's will or God's love or sin, as some people come to know it. And you know, when I grew up, I, I didn't grow up in the church. Many of you know this, but I, when I came into the church, I came into the church uh, in part Assemblies of God and in part uh, Southern Baptist, and not trying to like tell you anything about either one of those, but when I came in in high school, I had all the normal ways of living as a high school student that was then now told that there were 
all these things that I did in my regular life that was bad and that I can't do anymore. And I had a long list of the things that I needed to do because you have all of these sins. And if you sin and you continue to sin, it's just a mark of all of the problems that we have. And listening to secular music, which was like part of like what I had grown up, I listened to the Beatles and the Eagles. And, you know, I grew up listening to all the pop music and, you know, I couldn't listen to that anymore. I couldn't, you know, even watch some of the movies that I had liked to watch. I mean, there's all these things. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that there is such a long list of the things that we're not supposed to be doing as Christians. Well, this sin is often identified as like these things that we're doing. And now I think that there's things that we can make that are mistakes, but ultimately this is it. If God's mission and intention is to be with us and to bring us in, that what sin is, is quite frankly this, that which breaks us apart that which fractures us, that which we no longer can be in community with God and one another the way that God had intended to, which is to be in union with us, just to be in, like, bringing us together. And the Apostle Paul knows this, and this is, like, his vision for what it means to be the church, because the Apostle Paul found himself as a enemy of God. He was trying to persecute the early Christians, and he was trying to hurt other people. And then as he was trying to do all of those things, God just like shows up to him. And so he is desperately trying to teach other people that while we are wrong, while we are enemies, while we were sinners in his own words in Romans 5, God makes us right. And that's really pivotal for him because For the Apostle Paul, he sees everything as the work of God that's gone over us, whether we like it, know it, or believe it or not. That while we were enemies, God reconciles us. So that's like the add-on to John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that God sent God's only Son, that while we were enemies, God reconciles us and brings us together. And the Apostle Paul believes this, and he believes it so firmly that he doesn't think that there's anything that you can do that would separate you from that reality. In fact, just a few verses after the verses that I just read, it says, neither height nor depths nor powers of this world, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus that God has done all of these things. So the Apostle Paul views himself, views the world, views all of us as people who have already been embraced and reconciled by this work of God, God's self, and Jesus. Thank you for following my theology for a moment. So what does that mean for us? And that's how Paul begins to try to talk about what sin is and what, you know, healing might look like and might talk about like our present reality and where we find ourselves. Because I don't think that Paul thinks that sin is the things that we do and don't do. I think, in fact, he thinks that sin is that which kind of separates us from the reality that God has already done this work. Paul had been starting all of these churches throughout Asia Minor and on the way to Rome, and he had longed to get to Rome. 
but he had to keep going back to settle like these disputes in Jerusalem. And so he'd make it like part of the way there. And then like Jerusalem would need some money. So then he would go back and give them some money. He'd make it part of the way there. And then now they're quarreling a little bit about like Paul and his teaching. And so he comes back to try to fix it. And all the meantime, as he's doing that sort of circuit throughout Asia Minor area, they had these like teachers that were going through and trying to teach the churches a little add-on from Paul's message. Because Paul's message is that nothing can separate us from the work of Christ. And then these teachers would go, yeah, and we still make mistakes, though. You know, like you still got to follow the rules, guys, right? You still got to do X, Y, and Z. And so these teachers were kind of like Jewish Christians and telling these communities they, they still had to eat kosher and they still had to circumcise their families. They still had to follow the law. They still had to do these things. And the Apostle Paul was kind of like boiling inside, being like, no, God has done the work in us. God has done it for us. And so he sends this letter to the Romans to try to get there ahead because he hears these teachers are on their way because he wants them to know what's most important is that God has already done this work. And he looks at his brothers and sisters within the Jewish circle, and he, he talks about this like, race in other places in Scripture. And remind you, this is like in hindsight. He's not looking at them and the things that they're doing as bad. He's just looking at what they're doing as not necessary. Because here they are like trying to follow all of the things that they're doing. But God has already done the work. And so he talks about this race that's already been finished, except for people are still running it. I don't know if any of you have ran a cross-country like race or marathon or like, a, I know sprinters, I'm going to rag on you for a little bit, but like a distance. I was a distance runner in high school. And so like when you're done with the two mile or the 5k, or if you've ran a marathon, like the last thing period that you want to keep doing is running after that finish line, right? Like you have zero energy to give to that and you're just done. And Paul talks about how the people that try to like follow this list and like inherit their place with God are people that are running a race that's been finished. And it's not that they're bad people. It's just like, why would you do that? Like, why are you going to keep on running? It's just exhausting. It's just exhausting. The problem is that we live in a world where people are like still running and they're still kind of trying to work with their baggage and inherit love from whoever they're trying to find it from. And it builds upon itself. And so sin is not so much the things we choose. It's more just like being, it's like water and oil. And another thing it's not is it's not these like individual things, but it's also like systems of stuff. See, because it's the choices that build up that we make. So John Charles Wesley, Methodist tradition that they started, didn't believe that, you know, the Christian journey was just about choosing right or wrong. They believed it was about the habits that we form. Because it's the habits that change the way we live in the world. And now God has done the work for us. But now our goal ought to be to align our habits 
with God's intention of bringing us together with one another and with creation. That God wants us to form ourselves so that it's natural to live in unity versus disunity. And so we can talk about how, you know, you know, I always my New Year's resolution is I'm not going to raise my voice with my kids, right? And that'll work great unless I, like, find some tools maybe that can help me. You know, one of the tools is, like, breathing practices, mindfulness exercises where you know that emotions can kind of come and then they can go. And then so as, like, I'm boiling up inside of just, like, kind of, like, this is like my kids are spiraling me in some way. I just can kind of like. And the more I practice that, guess what? The more I'm able to just kind of let that go for a moment. I don't, I'm not perfect at this. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> don't put me on a pedestal. I'm sitting on my chair. The more I can instill it in our lives or in my life. And so when we think about the earth, and as Paul says, these labor pains and the, the pain that it is there, we think about how is it that we might change our habits. And friends, I don't want to get too like political, and I don't really know that it's political, but we have scientists have said that we're in a new epoch of history. Epoch's like a fancy word for like like air, like the Jurassic epoch, right? And now they say that we are in the Anthropocene epoch, which is a time period of the world that is, like the world itself is determined by human hands. Like now, like we have been so active in like doing all of our things that we've changed the environment in a way that is different. And the first time in history, uh, uh, like an animal, like a created part of this world has, has changed everything. And there are places in the world that are, you know, experiencing disasters on a scale that is, you know, more than we have seen before. Just uh, this past spring, a small island nation, uh, Vanuatu, have you heard of it? Vanuatu went to the world, uh... yeah, anyway, they basically made an argument that they are experiencing the impact of climate change, even though they are this small little island. Back in March, they had two Category 4 hurricanes within 72 hours. And what some people say is that the more our climate is going to change, the more we're going to experience devastation of the land like hurricanes, and maybe even the droughts that might lead to fires. And these are big problems. And our change, and like the whole earth is groaning, as the Apostle Paul says, that the labor pains. But what is our response? Well, our response is the same as we see the fractures and the broken, like things that like break apart and kind of like we know for the first time that like humanity has made changes and they're telling us that those changes are going to lead to more, you know, drastic weather and other devastation that's going to happen and there's going to be droughts and people are going to be without food and, and we're going to see this and this is because of the fracture and the way that we chose to live. So now our task 
is not that we're bad, but our task is to make the habits that are good. And this is in any fracture, whether it's a fracture in relationships, whether it's a fracture within how the environment is like groaning in these pains, like how are we going to respond? One of the uh, things that was so admirable for me was when I had started at um, this church in downtown Chapel Hill, North Carolina, they had just gone through this greenhouse gas emission survey and commitments that every individual kind of looked along this list of like, we're going to commit to driving 55 miles an hour on the roads instead of 75 miles an hour on the roads. And they're going to commit to, you know, turning their lights off at this time. And there's all these like little things that they were going to do. And the point being is that if they can develop these like small little habits, that they could be part of the mending instead of the fracturing. We've been talking about the Green Bible and our interconnection to the land and how God wants to bring us together with one another and the land. And so now our response is, what are the practices that we want to instill? And if you take away and you have all sorts of like other things going on in your life, what are the practices you're going to instill to mend the fractures that are in your life? Could be Mindfulness. It could be prayer. It could be finding a therapist that can walk alongside you and going through whatever it is that you're going through. And as we relate to the earth, it could be, you know, choosing to recycle. I know not everyone does. Knowing the plastics that we recycle, that it's only the one and two numbers on the bottom that are actually recycled in Hawaii. Did you know that? Look under the bottom, if it's seven or eight or nine, it's not going to do any good. Simple things in our lives can be part of the solution. Biking, walking, carpooling. What are the small ways and small habits that God is calling you to mend this brokenness with the world? What are those small things that God's calling you to mend the brokenness in your own life, our own communities? And I, I don't know, because I don't know what you're going through exactly. But I know we all have stuff. And we're all called to take step by step to be better versions of ourselves. And to trust that God's love is not contingent on how good we are at all that. It's already been done. Now we're just talking about relieving ourselves from the stress and the pain of running a race that's been finished. So let us rest in God's love in these small practices. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we know that we can't solve giant problems. But we see the pain in our own lives and in the lives of the community around us and the world itself. We pray that you would instill within us new practices, practices of inner peace and patience, 
practices to mend the brokenness that's around us. And together, foster in us creativity, hope, to be a better future for tomorrow for our kids. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.